can you wave it at the back? Is it on the books? My, my, my uh, beautiful assistant, Charlie, at the back. Um, it's a book called Dirty Glory, and it's, about, it's by Pete Gregg. And it kind of messed me up a little bit, which is probably a good thing. And I've unashamedly nicked a lot of Pete Gregg's stuff this morning, because he's a bit of a legend. So uh, my apologies to Pete, but uh, if it's good, why not, why not use it? So let's start by reading some verses from Mark. So hopefully these will come up on the screen. It's Mark 11, verses five, uh, 15 to 18. So it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written, my Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, this extraordinary confrontation, it took pretty much uh, certainly it took place at the end of Jesus' ministry, literally some people, some commentators say it was the thing that actually got him crucified. And so in the, you can see it in the text, can't you, that they began to conspire how they could kill him as a result of this showdown. And I, I quite like this Jesus here. I quite like he's not the sort of the meek and the mild Jesus, is he? And possibly slightly appeals to my more feisty personality. But this is highly disruptive, isn't it? And it's, it's an arrestable moment. And it's interesting because all four Gospels recount this story of the cleansing of the temple, as they, as they call it. And it, I think if anything gets into all four, you should probably pay particular attention to. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all tell this story from slightly different angles. And so I want you to imagine the drama of it. I want you to imagine that you're in this scene. And there were tens of thousands Possibly, they reckon between three and 400,000 pilgrims would have come to Jerusalem for the great feasts. And so there'd have been certainly hundreds, if not thousands, in the court of the Gentiles in which this takes place. So it's noisy, there's animals squawking, because we know that they were selling doves and lambs. So there'd have been like, meh, and... Uh, how do you do that? What's, what's, a, what's a dove do? Coo. That's a dove from above. Um, so there'd have been different animal, animal noises going on there. And there'd have, there'd have been animals in cages and because they, they were being sold as sacrifices. Um, and if you'd, if you'd come, you'd buy an animal to sacrifice. And if you were poor, you'd buy a dove. If you're a bit richer, you might buy a lamb. And then maybe if you were really wealthy but had done something really naughty, you might buy something even more than that. And so, uh, and then on top of that, Herod, uh, so he was ruling at the time, and he had almost finished rebuilding the temple at this point. And so in order to pay for it all, he'd put a tax in place. And it was a temple tax, and they'd minted their own coins. And so they said, we don't want the emperor's head on any of our coins that that take place in the temple. That was what was on the Roman coins. They'd said, we don't want any of that idolatry going on in the temple. We're going to create our own currency. So they, 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 well, they, I guess they created their own bitcoins for the temple. 
and that means that they were setting their own exchange rates. So for all those bankers and economists out there, that means that you're probably going to make pretty good money because you're setting your own exchange rates. So these pilgrims, they've, they may have travelled from the ex far-flung extremes of the Roman Empire to come to worship God and to sacrifice. And they're coming to have to change their money. And I want you to imagine, it's not like, you know, you're going into John Lewis and, you know, there's some nice elevator music playing in the background or maybe the new Moz, Moz the Monster advert. Anyone seen that? Um, but it's not like, you know, welcome to John Lewis. We have a, I hope you have a pleasant shop with us today. It wasn't like that. It was probably more like... This is where it gets really embarrassing. Roll up, roll up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Get your lambs here. Two for pants. <laughs> you can see it, can't you? And um, <laughs> doesn't matter what you've done. <laughs> Come along. Um, I think I've missed my calling, don't you think? I might start, I might go and talk to that, that veg guy at the Imbalan Market. See whether he wants to take me up. Anyway, um... So you, you see that this is a context, don't you? And, you? and Jesus goes in there, and you imagine the look on his face. He's like a volcano about to erupt. And he strides up to the first table, and uh, the bloke behind it's probably thinking, oh, this looks a bit awkward. Not quite sure what I think about this guy. And um, Jesus lifts the table up. And I want you to almost imagine the, the coins clattering on the floor. And maybe the sheep's cage has just got knocked over. And there's... <laughs> <laughs> and um, the market trader, he's probably cursing at Jesus, isn't he? What bleep do you think you're doing? Um, and everyone's looking on in shock. And there's, there's probably a little shriek. And then Jesus goes and turns a few more over. And there's even more noise. And, uh, and then what does Jesus do? He then speaks to everybody and he just says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And you, and he's pointing to the kind of religious priests, they had their tall hats on and walking around all official like, and he says, and you have made it a, de a den of robbers. Awkward. What a moment. And why, so why is Jesus getting so passionate about the house of prayer. So it's important to understand biblically, but it's important for us to understand as a church because I f we feel like God has been speaking to us about prayer recently. He's been speaking to me. He's been stirring up stuff about prayer recently. And I keep chatting to others, and God is speaking similarly to, their to them too and drawing us to sort of dream and press into what, you know, could we have a house of prayer here at Ballon Vineyard? That would be cool, wouldn't it? So I want to just take a, um, a little moment to look at some more context. I want you to look at this picture of the architecture of the, te of the temple. So you might not be able to see all the different... I wanted to have one of la those laser pointers. But um, you see the, the, big, the big tall bit in the middle? That's um, mostly the Holy of Holies. And that's the bit where they believed the presence of God particularly dwelt. The, and the, the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be in there. So all those stories of Indiana Jones, that was, that was where the Ark of the Covenant lived. And uh, no one was allowed to go in there, except once a year, a priest was chosen by lots to go in there. And the, it was so holy 
that they used to tie a rope around the poor old priest's ankle. And just so that if he got slain dead in there, they could pull his corpse out. So you can see that there's, there's just, you would never go in there. And you see how tall it is. You can see sort of the walls around. And you can imagine the kids walking around Jerusalem and going, Mum, what's that tall building? And Mum going, well, that, that's where God lives. Wow, can I go? No. Why not? Uh, well, because God lives there. And that's the Holy of Holies. It's not just the heart of the temple. It's not just the heart of Jerusalem. It's the heart of Israel. It's the heart of the whole earth and the presence of God. And you look at that with awe. And uh, the next... Actually, look, let's go to the next slide. It's almost like a Russian doll. So you can imagine kind of like that. The Holy Holies is, is, is right in the middle. The next concentric circle out is the court of the priests. So I don't know if you can see that, kind of the top bit, and then you've got the court of the priests. That's the next circle out, and that's the Levites. You'd have had to be born into this. And then the next circle out is the court of the Israelites. You had to be Jewish, and you had to be a man. And it is sexist, because the next one out was the court of the women. And it wasn't just sexist, it was also kind of racist, because you had to be a Jewish woman, and then the next circle out was the court of the Gentiles. And that's why we're sort of plebs like you and me. That's where we would be. <laughs> so, and you can see that in the court of the Gentiles, this is where Jesus is having this great showdown. So that's where, that's where we're at. So you can kind of see there's, there's sort of uh, restrictions all the way along. We know that um, an archaeologist apparently dug up a plaque in 1871... And it was from the temple here, and it was almost certainly on the wall going between the court of the Gentiles to the court of the women. And it's extraordinary, because written in great big fat letters on this plaque, and Jesus probably would have um, been, he might have even been pointing at this when he was having his rant, um, because it was meant to be a house of prayer. Anyway, this is what it says. It says, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone, Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Pretty, pretty brutal, isn't it? And, and, and here we have a brutal hierarchy of exclusion from the presence of God on the basis of ethnicity, of gender, and ordination, and it's enforced by death threats. So if you've travelled from the ends of the earth... And the, and the closest you can get to the presence of God is this noisy, squawky, hectic marketplace, the court of the Gentiles. And so something in Jesus rises up because he knows that his mission is to knock down those divides. To fling wide the gates and say, come on in, come on in from the court of the Gentiles. Come on in from the court of the women. Come on in uh, to, the, to the Israelites. Come on in to the priests. He even calls us priests. And then come on in to the Holy of Holies. And you can, f you can feel the tension, can't you? But God's in there and he loves you and he says, come on in to the holiest place on earth. And <laughs> we can easily go, can't we? Oh, that was a lovely time of worship this morning, wasn't it? Lovely time of worship. Um, Lovely time of prayer. 
Isn't, isn't God lucky that I spent an hour in prayer a couple of years ago? What a blessing for the Lord that must be. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't do anything like that. Um, but I, I do think we've lost a sense of, of wonder um, that through Christ we're invited into the Holy of Holies. The very presence of the living God, of all creation. And Jesus, he came to give us access to all areas. Those AAA passes. Wherever you want to go, come on in. And welcome, you're entitled to be here. I don't know whether anyone has had an experience where um, you have a complaint about something and you try talking to the shopkeeper, but you don't really get very far. And then so you escalate it and you end up talking to the manager and then you get what you want. Um, anyone ha- had that experience? I have. Um, my point is, is that it's worth going to the top. It's worth always going to the top. And um, it's a bit like this here, this here, isn't it? It's like, you don't want to fanny around in the court of the Gentiles. You just, you want to walk straight to the Holy of Holies and talk to the living God where anything is possible. Please excuse me. <laughs> so, the, and this, this is the privilege and the power and the potential of prayer. It's incredible, isn't it? We get to go into the Holy of Holies. We get to go straight to the top. And we read this beautifully expressed in Hebrews 10. And I hope because of some of the context I've given you that this little passage is about to come alive for you in a new way because there's so many metaphors that probably the Jews would have uh, understood and would have made perfect sense to them about the architecture of the, of the temple and about priests and sacrifices. They probably would have got it a lot more than we do. So I just want to read to you from Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... And that's not just the blood of lambs or the blood of doves. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And it talks about when Jesus died on the cross, that literally the temple that was separating the Holy of Holies from the court of the priest, it was ripped in two. And it was apparently like about a 90-foot curtain. It was torn from top to bottom. And they're they're saying Jesus' body was ripped apart and that was the curtain that gave us access. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Quite extraordinary, the access that we can have straight into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus has done. And we've got no need to feel afraid afraid or ashamed to enter the Holy of Holies because Jesus Christ has laid down his life. He's shed his blood that we might be forgiven. And we might be the priest who rightfully steps into the holiest place on earth. Jesus has opened a way. 
And that's, that's why someone like me, with all my flaws, I can step into the presence of God. And this is the grace, the love, the acceptance of God. No matter what you've done, you cannot be too sinful for the holy of holies. Only too proud to accept the sacrifice. And this is the great privilege of prayer that millions of us across the world can find ourselves in the Holy of Holies at any point of any time. And the miracles that take place here and the things that God says and the destinies he unlocks because you walk into that space of the presence of God. I love uh, this, this story. I think it's in the Dirty Glory book. He, uh, there's an atheist businesswoman from Oklahoma who stepped into their prayer room. And she said, I didn't believe in Jesus or God or much of anything. And yet I was rocked to the point of no longer being able to stand on my own two feet. I sat there shaking, desperately trying to hide my tears, shocked, because I'd given up on God. And yet I was instantly, and to my own surprise, a believer in Jesus. And it doesn't happen all the time, I know. But it's not that surprising that if you don't believe in God... And then you find yourself in, in his presence, the first thing that happens is you start to believe in him. So those kind of encounters do take place. Destinies get changed in the presence of the Father. Anything can happen. Lives can be changed. And I, I kind of want to let you in into a little secret. Well, it's not really a secret, but part of our vision for next year is... We want to develop a prayer room here at Ballon Vineyard. When we first started the church, just over two years ago, we approached Wandsworth Council about a little club room type uh, building that, ironically, Steve used to use over 15 years ago for sort of detached youth work and things like that. And we knew it wasn't being used, and so the council just asked us to put a proposal to them and... They, they've basically given it to us for free. I mean, where does that happen in London? Seriously, where does that happen? And so we, over time, we had, we've had a team of people cleaning it, painting it, refitting it. And since then, we've used it for all sorts of groups. We've used it for collections for refugees. We've used it for prayer and worship times. And we've even done a wedding blessing in it this week. It's been amazing. Thanks, Pollyanna. I was going to put a picture up, but I wasn't sure that I'd have permission um, and I guess we've been dreaming recently, what would it look like? What would it look like to have prayer going on 24-7 there? We've got such a huge vision for this area. This will only take place through prayer and coming into the Holy of Holies and asking God to partner with us. And so watch this space is all I'm going to say. Uh, from January onwards, we're going to have it open for certain times of the day in the evening. And uh, people can sign up and have slots to go and meet with God. And pray for transformation for our city and beyond. And for our friends and our families and our neighbours. How exciting is that? So that's just, that's my news flashover. And as I come into land, I just want to do the quickest guide in how you can grow in prayer. this with Paul earlier. Good. So excited. 
cross. Um, I don't know. Do you Americans know what this is? Learner faith. L is for learner. And uh, I've been a Christian for over 30 years. And I feel like I'm literally just starting to learn how to pray. I'm not actually sure whether that's very encouraging. <laughs> but <laughs> you too can be like me. Um, 30 years on. Anyway, so um, what I, <laughs> I think what I'm caveating is I, I really feel like a learner in this. And we've all got the, the chance to learn together. And the really, really, really good thing, really good news, is that prayer is a skill, and you can get better at it. And I don't think people ever tell... I don't think anyone told me that, that, but it is. It's totally a skill. You don't just rock up to a... Yeah, phew. It is. It's good, isn't it? You don't just rock up and and just think, look at a grand piano and think, yeah, I'm going to be a concert pianist. Uh, and, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, do you practice much? Or maybe, you know, you've just seen Tiger Woods do a round of golf on TV and you're like, that's going to be me. And then somebody says, well, you know, how often do you go out? And they're like, well, yeah, just chip it around the green a couple of times a week. It's probably not going to happen. Sorry to spoil your illusions. But it's, we, I think we understand the concept of muscle memory, don't we? And... I think there's muscle memory in prayer. And if you want to grow in prayer, you're going to have to apply yourself to the disciplines that take you into the Holy of Holies. And then everything is grace from there onwards. So this is a really easy to remember guide. And and what I am saying as well is that if you've got something that works, carry on doing that. Don't do this. Carry on doing what you... If it works, just carry on doing it. But I I find this really helpful. So first of all, prayer begins by just showing up. Just show up. We should have a a little, is it going? Animation? Yes! Come on. Doesn't that make you happy? Um, A lot of people, they have a chair that they like to go and pray and encounter God in. Or some people have a particular walk that they do every day. Some people... um, maybe even do it on their commute. They find kind of places of silence. But I, I, I really think you need to find your space, your place, your chair, where you encounter God. Because without a set time and place for prayer, I'm not sure you'll ever really grow in prayer. And of, of course, you can chat to God all the time. You can chat to God as your best friend all the time. But it's a bit like the Holy of Holies. God was in all of the earth, but yet there was a place that was particular focusing, particularly focusing his presence. And so we need to find those places for each of us. And the great thing about, have a, great thing about having a certain place where you show up is, this is another news flash, sometimes you won't want to pray. Who knew that? Was it, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> That's really awkward. Um, but you, you show up, don't you? And you go, I don't really want to talk to you today, but I'm here. And just showing up is part of praying. And you'll have times when prayer is really hard and you just feel like you're talking to the ceiling. 
Any, anyone? Maybe, again, that's, maybe that's just me. Um, and then you'll have times when you're taken by complete surprise by the presence of God and by the miracles that you see or the things that he's telling you. But you keep growing, you show up. So that's my point one, show up. Well, it's Pete Gregg's point, actually. But Pete Gregg. Um, the second key to growing in prayer is to look up. And you see, I think sometimes we might get to have a tendency to get into the presence of God and it's a bit like we're on the throne and he's down there and we say, now here are the things I'd like you to do for me. You know, the, the universe really ought to orbit around me and my feelings and my requirements. But the thing we really need to do in prayer is get off the throne and allow God to take it and remember who he is and remember who we're not. To look up and to worship. And that's why Jesus says, he says, start your prayers, Abba, Father, hallowed be your name. By remembering who he is, you get a different perspective, don't you? And by giving thanks to God for the little things that he's done, you find faith for the things that he hasn't done yet. So you don't just rush in with your shopping list if you can help it. Maybe take a little time, maybe put some worship music on, give thanks for a few things, count your blessings. God is always worthy of our thanks and our gratitude and our worship. So the third thing we do while we're sort of on the floor, as it were, worshipping, you might be, but you might not be, we're worshipping and giving God thanks, is we shut up. And if you're anything like me, you just want to rush in, give God our list, but sometimes we just need to listen. What if God's got some stuff he wants to tell you? What if there's things that he wants to say to you? And Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And you'll starve if you don't get this. And the primary way that God speaks to you is through the Bible. On every page, every single page of the, of the Bible, I can guarantee that every one of you will find something that God's saying to you today. And use that as a starting point for a conversation with him. And learn not to just read the Bible for information, but pray the Bible for revelation. And we're told, aren't we? We're told, be still and know that I'm God. We're told that God often speaks in a still, small voice. And that's so hard to find in London. Anyone else find that hard to find in London? I, t- I tell you another thing. These don't do you any good in your prayer times. They, these don't do me any good in my prayer times. I would thoroughly recommend putting it somewhere not within your reach. It's hard for God to speak when, we're, when there's so many things going on. Uh, and then finally, after you've shown up, looked up and shut up, you get to speak up. And this is probably where most of us think we start praying. But you get to ask, this, ask God for the things that are on your heart. And everybody prays, don't they? Even atheists pray. But the difference when Christians pray is that we're climbing into the lap of our Heavenly Father. 
He is on the throne, and as his children, we get to sit with him. And as he puts his arm around you and he says, Now, son, my daughter, I love you so much. Now, Viv, I know you've done some bad stuff, but I've wiped all that away. I just love you. And Jesus says that the Father loves to give good things to those who ask. He loves to give good things. As a parent, you love to give things to your children, don't you? God is far bigger than that. The, um, oh, I lost my poppy. Um, the blind man in, um, in the New Testament, he, he approached Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't say, oh, I know what you need. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus was like, dull, I want my sight back. But you have to articulate your desires to the Father. He wants to know what's on your heart. But no, you're not wrestling with an angry God, not trying to strong arm a dispassionate deity, but you're sitting on the lap of your Father. He is on the throne. He is in the Holy of Holies. And you get to work with him in the plans and the fulfillment and seeing them happen in your life. So that's when we speak and bring him our prayers. And I believe that God is calling us to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And Jesus is passionate about that for us as well. So I, I, I think just this week, he's calling each one of us this week to, to show up just to make some space in our lives. To look up. To give him thanks. To worship him. To shut up. To listen to him. And then to speak up and to share our desires. In God's presence, anything is possible. No matter what you've done, you're loved. You're a son or a daughter entitled to enter the Holy of Holies where he speaks, he forgives, he answers. What, what a privilege we have. What a privilege. I'm so glad I live this side of the cross. So we're, we're going to have a, a, another time of worship in a minute, but just as the band come up, I just, want, I just want you to imagine. I, I think our imaginations are little used in the kingdom. And I think God gives us imagination to, to really imagine what it might be like. And I want us to imagine just coming into the Holy of Holies today. And just thanking him that we get to come into the Holy of Holies. Maybe even just... Just pause for a minute and just have, have some time of, uh, of quiet just before we, we worship and just imagining what that might look like, what the scene is before us. Imagine climbing onto the lap of the Father in the Holy of Holies. So why don't, why don't we stand and just take a minute to do that while, and then we'll have a short time of worship.